Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. And this is Mary Kay Cabot. And we wanted to record a quick podcast here on Monday night about the Corey Coleman trade that happened on Sunday. And Mary Kay, as you pointed out on Twitter, we were just talking about this. What this really means, the big news, the Carson Wentz trade that we all thought was done, that we all thought was behind us, lives on. Yeah, I uh, tweeted earlier that it will go on in perpetuity. <laughs> and Dan, I am convinced that, um, that it will continue throughout my lifetime. Like, I will be gone, and the trade will still be going yeah. on and on and on. The, so, trade, the trade might outlive, like, all of us. Yeah. Everyone on, on the beat, everyone in this building, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, the Browns, of course, as you all know, traded Corey Coleman on Sunday night. They got a seventh rounder in 2020. So, um, I don't even know if that's pennies on the dollar. That's <laughs> They did not get much back in return for a former first-round pick. Of course, you know, I know there's people out there that get mad when we talk about Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson and all of that, but you can't talk about Corey Coleman without talking about Carson Wentz. Uh, But let's do this in three parts. We're going to be pretty short about this one today. Why did this happen? Why did the Browns decide that it was time to move on from Corey Coleman? Well, we had seen the writing on the wall for a long time. Now, last year, you look back to last year, and we had Hugh Jackson even going into last season, if you recall, saying things like, Corey's got to step it up this mm-hmm. year. He challenged Corey in training camp last year to really step it up and be the first-round pick that, that he was. He was a 2016 number 15 overall pick. You expect big things from those guys, not just from an on-the-field standpoint, but from work ethic, from working out, from studying your playbook, from knowing where to be. I mean, you almost have to be Jerry Rice-like in your approach when they pick you that high. And I just don't think they ever felt like they got what they needed from him from that standpoint. And he could never dig himself out of that hole. Then, of course, he breaks a hand in each of the first two seasons. That's not his fault. But between that and the hamstring injuries and then some of the off-the-field stuff that we've seen, it was he was in a doghouse here, and he wasn't coming out. And, you know, he told us before the start of last season, this was during the spring, um, that, you know, he, he admitted that he didn't really know his playbook all that great his rookie year, partially because of the injury, that, that he didn't take the time he needed to know the playbook well enough. And then this year... You know, we we start to hear him talking about he was our, you know, his diet is different story of training camp. And, you know, so Jarvis Landry talks to him about, you know, eating better and and taking better care of his body. And and it's, you know, it's little things like that combined with some other off-field incidents. Uh, We know what happened in Houston when he and Kenny Britt were sent home for breaking curfew. Uh, There was the incident in the parking garage of the building that he lives in. He obviously, uh, you know, wasn't charged with anything there. Um... But, you know, that, that was still an uncomfortable incident for him to even be close to. Uh, so, so there were just a lot of things floating around Coleman, and the production on the field wasn't matching where he was picked. No, it, it really wasn't. And we could see out in practice, it really seemed like Todd Haley and, and Corey Coleman were clashing. I think yeah. they were butting heads. He was really hard. Now, he's hard on guys, and he should be. Um, but he was really hard on Corey Coleman, trying to pull the best out of Corey. Uh, if he didn't see Corey fighting for a ball, uh, or if he saw a ball getting picked off because Corey wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing or uh, in the position he needed to be in or re- running his route the correct way, uh, he was all over Corey yeah. in, in this training camp. And I think that they just finally said, you know what? We've seen enough. I actually think the coaches probably went to John Dorsey and said, well, you know, we're done. We, we don't, you know, we like Antonio Callaway, the fourth-round pick. We don't see any future. If you can get something for him, we're done. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you can only do so much with guys. And, and the other thing, too, that, that I think is worth pointing out is, 
And I think he, I think he got failed a little bit by the organization mm-hmm. uh, because, again, we mentioned it was Kenny Britt in Houston, right? That he was out past curfew with when he was hurt. He just never had a guy around that could kind of show him the ropes and show him how to be a professional. And I think Jarvis Landry maybe has taken on that role a mm-hmm. lot on this team. Uh, but he just, he showed up too late, <laughs> you know. I mean, they they were done with Coleman by the time Landry showed up, and you know, I just think they sort of failed him in that way. Andrew Hawkins was here his rookie year, you know, so maybe that, you know, maybe he was a guy like that for him. But he just didn't have that veteran presence. No, he really didn't, and he was someone that really needed that. I mean, he needed somebody in the receiver room that could show him the way, the way that Jarvis was trying to this year. I think Jarvis and Tyrod Taylor really tried to take Corey under their wing and, and try to get him where they needed him to be, but they had seen some – the coaches obviously, I think, saw some things in practice where they were just done. I'm telling you, on, on I think it was Saturday, yes, on Saturday um, – Corey did not practice, Mm -hmm. and Hughes said afterwards that it was a hamstring. Now, maybe it was a hamstring, but Corey just had this look on his face where he just looked mad. He looked angry while the receivers were uh, running through some individual drills with the quarterbacks towards the end of practice. That day, Corey did not practice. That was the day before he was traded, and uh, Antonio Callaway was in there at the X. So maybe they had a blow up. I, you know, I honestly, I don't know yet. We may hear more as time goes on. But Corey just had this look on his face. I don't know if you saw it or not, Dan. He looked, I, I didn't. But. He looked angry. I mean, he just looked angry, uh, just kind of pacing up and down the sidelines there a little bit. Um, and it, it seemed like something was wrong. So we asked Hugh Jackson about it afterwards, and he said it was the ham, you know, could be a hamstring, whatever. Next thing we know, Corey's gone. Sometimes if you dig yourself a hole with a team for whatever reason or you you clash with a coach, uh, it's very difficult time, sometimes to get yourself out of that. And quite often, a change of scenery is what you need. I mean, look, Jarvis Landry is like a, a superhero <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here right now, and he did not get along with Adam Gase in Miami. So one man's trash is another man's treasure. And maybe this will be a wake-up call for Corey, too. You know, right. Maybe he'll go to Buffalo and he'll thrive there. You know, I mean, it's, it's still possible. The tools are there. Um, you know, or maybe he's a guy that just needs to have a really good quarterback. Yeah. And maybe, you, maybe he's just that type of receiver. He's just, you know, he can't really transcend poor quarterback play, which, look, a lot of guys can't. Um, right. You know, the, the top receivers in the league can, but you know, maybe Corey's just one of those guys that just needs to have – really good quarterback play right and and you and I have talked about this throughout the day that Corey Coleman again was put in a tough situation because you know Deshaun Kaiser was struggling last year and the year before that Corey Cody Kessler was struggling so he didn't have uh you know he wasn't getting thrown passes by Tyrod Taylor in his first two seasons so that was tough, but you brought up a point. What was your what was your point about that? <laughs> well, Terrell Pryor managed a thousand yards right. with that same quarterback room. Josh mm-hmm. Gordon in five games was yeah. the number two number two in yards among wide receivers on the team behind Ricardo Lewis uh, in just five games. Right. Duke Johnson has managed to have success. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are guys that have had success at least on a limited basis with the same quarterbacks that everyone kind of points to and says, "Well, how could Corey Coleman have done anything?" Here's, a, here's another thing um, that I think is an issue with Corey. Corey's forte and his strength is his speed, yeah. his blazing speed. And I actually think that the hamstring injuries 
have really curtailed his ability to break it open and run like the wind. And if you take that away from him, you really eliminate his number one strength. And I think that they saw that in Corey that he just can't run right now. Yeah, there's there's issues there with, with the hamstrings and all of that. And look, you can search around on Twitter. You can find GIFs. You can find all sorts of videos of him running good routes, getting open and not getting the ball. You know, it happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, there were things that Corey did as well um, to, to sort of lead to this point. So what does it mean now for the Browns? That's our, that's our next question. What does it mean for this receiving core right now? What it means right now, with Josh Gordon still not around, it means a step up for Antonio Callaway into the ex-receiver spot. Corey Coleman was filling that spot for Josh Gordon while he's gone. He's still in Gainesville working on his treatment program. So Corey had stepped in there, and that's sort of the, you know, that's the marquee receiver spot. And now with Corey gone, Antonio Callaway is there, and it's an opportunity for him to really show that he is what the Browns thought he was, and what they thought he was was a first-round caliber talent. Now, he sat out of football his whole entire last year <laughs> at, at Florida, and uh, that's tough. It's tough to shake off that rust and come back and do what they're expecting him to do. So he is going to have to really work his tail off because not only are they expecting that from him, at least for now, until Josh gets back, mm-hmm. but he's also returning punts. So he's got a lot of responsibility and uh, hopefully he's up for it. And we've also talked about this, too. It means for Jarvis Landry, uh, you know, the, the idea of him playing more on the outside. Um, we're going to see him lined up in more than just the slot. You know, in three receiver sets, he might move back in the slot, but we're going to see him play a lot of snaps when they have two receivers on the field, and mm-hmm. even when they do have three. We're going to see him on the outside a lot. Yeah, and he wants to do that. He's excited about doing that, and we have seen that consistently in camp. So right now, when it's two wides, it's Antonio and and Jarvis. Then when when they're going to three wides, or at least today when they went to three wides, uh, Richard and Antonio were on the outside, and Jarvis was moving into the slot generally. So that's been their three wides. And then, then of course, you know you you mix in Duke Johnson as a receiver and all that. So there's many many things that they can do in that way. I mean, I think they have enough guys that can catch the ball right now. And if Josh Gordon comes back, then I think that they have what they need at wide receiver. Yeah. I mean, a Gordon Landry pairing uh, is is sort of what they envisioned to begin with. Corey Coleman was not a starter when Josh Gordon was here in the spring. Right. That's important to remember. Corey Coleman was not like the number two receiver opposite Josh Gordon. It was Jarvis Landry. Um, So, you know, that was the plan to begin with. Then, of course, Gordon gets hurt, and and Coleman gets the shot, and then he gets traded. Um, So now we got to talk about what's next, because you, of course, spoke to Jarvis Landry today, and a certain name came up, a friend of Jarvis Landry's, and Jarvis is never shy about talking, uh, Odell Beckham. So what did Jarvis tell you? Well, you know what? It occurred to me, Dan, that first of all, those two guys are really good friends. They spent a lot of time working out together in the offseason. They went to LSU together. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing going on here is that Adam Henry, who Odell Beckham Jr. loves, coached those guys at LSU. Now he's here as the Browns receivers coach, and he coached Odell Beckham Jr. for two seasons in New York with the Giants before he came here. Then you look out to workouts at like USC (laughs) and you see Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. together. You see Odell with other Browns players and he's been kind of hanging out with the Browns a little bit. So I just thought, well, why not ask Jarvis, are you still lobbying for him? 
And he said yes. And I said, would he be up for it? Would he want to play here? And and Jarvis said he would definitely want to play <laughs> here. And I just thought that was really interesting because um, because he knows. He would know. I said, Did you, have you talked to him about that? And he said, we've talked. So as most people know, Odell Beckham Jr. is in a contract squabble with the Giants right now. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't think the Giants have really any intention of trading him at all, and I don't mean to get something started. But if you start to connect the dots a little bit, the Browns need a star receiver. Odell's not happy in New York. He's been hanging around with the Browns. He's got Adam Henry here. His best friend Jarvis Landry is here. And you know what? Hey, maybe it's not the craziest notion in the world. No, uh, you know, it's that's what you have to do, right? If all of a sudden tomorrow the Giants decide, you know what, we're done with this. Yeah. All of a sudden, guess who's got to be on the phone? John Dorsey. And we know that John Dorsey is going to be aggressive. We know that this team has a ton of money. So if they wanted to, they could bring him in and extend him. And the other thing is we know that Odell Beckham Jr. is sort of the opposite of what we talked about earlier. Odell's a guy that makes your quarterback better. Mm -hmm. We've seen it over and over and over again with Eli Manning. He is a guy. He'll take a five-yard pass and turn it into a 60-yard touchdown. He's that type of dynamic receiver. Um, You know, there's some antics you deal with. But, again, this is a coaching staff and this is a general manager that don't seem to really care about stuff like that. And, and once again, you've got his college and pro coach that can handle Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. I mean, we talked to Adam Henry, and we'll talk, be talking again to him on Tuesday, uh, but he talks about how, you know, one of these days he's going to be able to put a shingle, uh, you know, over his office and be like a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. He has a way with these young guys. He's really, really good with them. Adam Henry's a cool guy. I'm sure Odell Beckham Jr. loves him. And I think Odell probably sees some cool things going on here in Cleveland and sees that they're on the rise. Now, in Cleveland, what a better way to make your number one overall pick <laughs> quarterback successful than to provide him with a guy like that it makes so much sense to me that i would be on the phone with dave gettleman tomorrow if i were john dorsey it would be uh it would be interesting to see if if anything started to develop there um with that the you know i mean what does this mean that des bryant could still be in play is, is that another name that that maybe we should keep in mind you know what i think he's still on the radar a little bit and I think that there there were preliminary discussions, a prelim, preliminary inquiry about it. But that coincided with Des Bryant kind of going off on Twitter. Yeah. And I, I just think that the timing was bad on that. I just don't think that that whole situation, you know, inspired the Browns to just want to go out and say, come on in, Des, let's give this a look-see and see what you think. And, I mean, they haven't – I don't think they've ruled him out. But also, you know, he would really have to want to come here. And I don't know. Like I said, I just don't think it's on the front burner right now. We started with Odell. Let's go 60-0 to here, though. What what are the chances nothing big happens or nothing – there isn't a move in the next week or two, aside from maybe Josh Gordon coming back. You know, that that could very well be it. It could just be Josh Gordon is coming back to this football team, and then they will stand pat with what they have and hope that he can make it through the season and that he has sufficiently overcome whatever was bothering him before he left. And if you have Jarvis Landry and you have Antonio Callaway, Josh Gordon, Rashard Higgins, then – You've got a pretty good receiving core, so I don't. I don't think they would necessarily, you know, have to go out and try to make anything happen. But you can always look. 
All right, so that'll do it for our quick Corey Coleman reaction podcast. And uh, boy, Hard Knocks got dealt a curveball here. This first, the Browns are, I find it impossible to believe that this will not be an incredible season of Hard Knocks. Just based on what has already happened. You know, I kind of came in thinking, what if this is just boring? Because the Browns are kind of settled and they sort of, you know, there's some, you know, Baker Mayfield and all of that. But the Browns have certainly done their part to make things interesting. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Hard Knocks will cover, you know, what we'll hear behind the scenes about the Josh Gordon situation because we don't know a whole lot about that yet. I mean, we're putting little pieces here together. You know, I know he's in Gainesville. I think he's at the, you know, working with the same counselors that he worked with last year Mm -hmm. because of the familiarity and the continuity of that. So will we hear more about that? They were at Hard Knocks. Was at Corey Coleman's apartment (laughs) yesterday? Did you know? Were they on top of this? Do they? Did they? Were they there when he got a call or something? Yeah, were they? I mean, so there's a lot of intrigue and drama coming up on Hard Knocks, and we will uh, be watching it tomorrow, and we will try to at some point uh, circle up and do a a quick podcast off of what we saw from Hard Knocks. Uh, That'll air Tuesday night, ten to eleven. So we'll see when maybe we can get that planned out. And of course, there's a preseason game on Thursday. Oh yeah, Thursday night at seven in New York against the Giants and Odell Beckham and Odell Jr. Beckham. Can you believe? So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for listening everybody. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dan Lobby for Mary Kate Cabot. Thanks for listening.